you will remember towards the end of the last year, I got the opportunity to talk to some of my colleagues and friends from TaylorMade, and they've been very, very approachable and bringing TaylorMade to the listeners of the My Love of Golf podcast. And as you know, as a golfer, we're on the dawn of the release of a whole stack of new product. One of those big releases is the new range of drivers, fairways, hybrids, and irons from TaylorMade. We didn't talk to uh, Matt Beauvais about them, but we are going to talk to my good friend and colleague from TaylorMade Australia, Tom Carroll. He's on the other end of the line. Tom, welcome to 2020, and welcome to the My Love of Golf podcast for your podcast, Taboo. How are you, mate? I'm well, thank you, Ross, for having me. I was uh, really waiting for the call up, and uh, finally, I've uh, been able to join a couple of my colleagues and and talk to you a bit about TaylorMade and what's going on this year. Well, what the listeners won't know is that you really were one of the guys behind um, getting Matt Beauvais on, and also Benji, and you know, really, I guess, giving me the permission to to you know talk to the guys about what they do, and. Uh, You've got a great story of your own, which we'll get to uh, in a little bit. But really, Tom, you know, it's a big time for TaylorMade. It was a big year for the brand last year, M5, M6 at the start of last year. You know, I remember sitting out there about a year ago now with Tomo Bystet, one of the key guys in, in your head office in Carlsbad, hitting the M5, roll forward a year. And here we are about to see, I haven't seen it yet in, in what I do, but uh, about to see the new SIM. What, yeah, absolutely. What it's can just, you tell us uh, about it? it? It's been a really sort of meteoric rise the last three to four years. As soon as the M products came along, starting with M1, it's just gone strength to strengths. And uh, the M5 and M6 last year was no exception to that. You know, the introduction of the speed injection, injected twist face uh, really sort of changed, I guess, the world of, of manufacturing metal woods, that's for sure. Um, being able to ensure that every driver is as fast as legally possible um, is a huge claim, and it's something that you know only TaylorMade can do at, at this point in time. You know, stepping into 2020, um, we all sit back and we all think, "Geez, what what are they going to come up with next?" Even as employees, and they've come out with Sim, which I can tell you from personal experience. Uh, I used it on the weekend for the first time and I've definitely seen gains I, I hadn't seen um, previously with the driver. And generally, I'm sort of one of those players who probably doesn't see as much benefit as I get new models, you know, every year with, with the job. So, um, yeah, it's exciting time and obviously a new era of product for us brings a new name with Sim, so Shape in Motion. Every time TaylorMade changes the name, you can you can pretty much guarantee it's going to be a groundbreaking product, and I think that's what we've got so far from what I've seen. So shape in motion. What is your interpretation, or what's the TaylorMade's interpretation of, of what we are to take from shape in motion? Why would you call someone a, something uh, a driver sim? I I think I know why, but uh, what is shape in motion meant to, I guess, reveal about the product? One thing you'll see when you you look at the product, especially its side profile, is it's a very unique look. Um, the crown's been raised. There's this huge inertia generator out of the out the back, which was in M6, um, which is where you get all the stability and, and consistency from from a, a forgiveness standpoint. I think the big key for this driver and TaylorMade hasn't done it before. I don't think anyone has. It's been able to combine ball speed, forgiveness, and aerodynamics. 
um, by shifting the inertia generator on the, the bottom of the club or the back of the club sort of slightly um, clockwise, 18 degrees, I think, from memory, it's allowing the player to gain more club head speed in that, that impact area. So, I mean, we've seen huge gains and we've seen up to five mile an hour club head speed gains in our own testing, um, which don't hold me to. That's just our, our testing in our own facility. But it's the first driver that gets it all right. Um, a few years ago, we had SLDR, which had great aero, great ball speed, but didn't have the forgiveness. Uh, we had the M2 products the last few years, which launched really high, had great ball speed, but didn't have great aero. So I can confidently say that in sort of my six, seven years in TaylorMade, I think we've got sort of the holy trinity of driver performance, if you like, um, in the sim products. Now let's wind back. Let's go back to inertia generator. And you said a ge- inertia generator is there for forgiveness. Now, you know, just describe if, if someone's had a look at the, the picture of a sim, you know, and you, you wouldn't be a golfer if you hadn't seen it because it's been everywhere. It's mm. that large wedge-like mass or a weight that sits right at the back, yeah? Yeah, and you said it, You said it's canted off to the, the tune of how many degrees? Uh, 17 degrees, I think, but don't, don't hold me to that. It's yeah, within a degree of that. that sure. <laughs> but that's canted off there, I'm assumingly – to increase the speed of the club through impact, and that's the right amount of positioning for that to be optimising the speed for you know the majority, or if not all people, you know as they swing the club down through impact. Is that correct? Yeah, absolutely. So you know when the club head is on its way down, you know two feet out from impact, the face is open. Um, you actually need to change the weight off to sort of slightly off to 17 degrees in order for it to match your swing path. It doesn't make sense to have the weight you know, directly straight or parallel to the ground because we don't swing in straight lines. So it's, it's probably hard to explain, but it's quite easy to see. Yeah. Um, and we've got a lot of sort of videos on YouTube. But essentially what they did in from a testing and R&D standpoint is they took it to a, uh, a wind turbine, sort of similar to what you know jet aeroplanes would use, they put it in there and just keep changing it around until they find the sweet spot, um, which is going to reduce drag as much as we possibly can. I mean, the only reason we got to this point is the fact we've been able to use carbon for a number of years now and have basically worked out how to move these mass properties around to best suit the majority of golf swings. Um, well, in, say, in majority, I would say all golf swings because this is going to benefit your good players all the way through to your, you know, your entry level. Now, if we focus on the bottom of the club for a minute longer, so on sim you have the uh, movable weight port. Yep. What's the what's the correct terminology for that? So we've got the T track. T track. Um, sorry, last year was T track. Now we've only got oh. the uh, single sliding weight. Um, the reason why we got rid of the T-Track, which was sort of last year, um, and the Y-Track, so Y-Track was last year, T-Track was the year before, um, was basically all our players and what they found through testing is most of our players, good players and all the players that we have fitted in our labs and things like that, would normally have one of the weights in the most forgiving setting, 
and then have one of the weights in the shot shape that they were desired, you know, either more fade or more draw. So knowing that, essentially what they've been able to do is just set the weight in the inertia generator as far back and make it slightly heavier to give that forgiveness while still having a sliding weight to help you with a slight draw or slight fade depending on what your preference is. Um, by moving the weight as well, for those fitters who are probably more adept, you can actually change where the ball impacts on the face for the particular player if he's a little, you know, toe impact first or heel impact first. You can make these really minor adjustments that get you a really big gain um, down the track once you match up loft and shaft and that sort of thing. Now, the sim with the movable weight, ideally as a player, who's that best suited to from your perspective? Who would who would best fit into that driver? Because there are a number of drivers in the family, and we'll talk about the others in a sec, but who's going to be best suited with having a movable weight that you can move across the face? The movable weight can suit anyone who mm-hmm. you know wants to change their ball flight and, and has a preference. Certainly the Sim's got a much lower profile and it actually has a slightly smaller face than the Sim Max and Sim Max D, um, which is in the family as well. So even though they're all 460, the surface area of the face actually changes model to model. So you would say the Sim, you know, if you were to put a a handicap or a sort of a performance baseline on it, you'd be looking at, you know, a good ball striker up to the handicap, maybe 15. Now, that's not to say that someone higher than that won't use it. Yep. Um, it's certainly a slightly better player's driver. Um, in saying that, though, you know, you'll find on tour, and it's been the same for the last few years, just as many guys use the uh, and, and girls use the forgiving driver um, as they do the adjustable. So it's really courses for courses, and you know, you, that's where the fitting aspect of, of all this premium equipment is so important. So then moving, well, what else do we need to talk about on sim? So we've still got the uh, speed-injected face. We've still got twist face. Yeah, it's, um, it's one of those things. It's really a combination of previous technologies, and we've been able to marry it all together. Yep. I mean, the biggest, what I like most about this driver is the look. Yep. I think going back to the, it's sort of a, a chromium-plated carbon. It's got blue. It looks fast. Um, it sits as square as driver I've ever seen, but yet you've got all this technology. You know, generally when you put so much technology in a driver, it starts to become, it starts to look a bit funky. You know, you think back to the 10 years ago, drivers that were triangle and square and all the suppliers were doing it in order to find, you know, this holy trinity of speed, uh, forgiveness and an and arrow, uh, where this is just a really, you know, Sexy package is how I describe it. Um, the one thing that I think is probably overlooked is is twist face. You know, it's in its third year now. It's the only real technology out there in driver faces that is helping you hit it straighter on every bad shot. It's pretty revolutionary, and it's sort of gets lost a bit because we've got so much other technology in the club. But you combine a face that's helping you hit it straighter with a face with speed inject injection that is at the legal limit. And then you also make this the fastest driver to swing. You sort of, you can't go wrong. Now, I'm obviously biased, but, uh, you know, you've got everything there. Not to mention, 
you know, our stock shaft options, you know, we're going the Diamond, the Project X, we've got Ventus Blue and Red. You know, these are all shafts that you, you used to only see on tour. You know, these are our yeah. stock shafts that yeah. you're getting in at all the clubs. Well, it's all pointing in the right direction, mate, for another absolutely uh, successful product for you. I know that the M5 and the M6 were very successful and, you know, both on tour, both in at retail, both out there in, in club land, it was very successful. You know, interesting today, Benji, a uh, friend and fan of the podcast, started to put up some numbers that he's seeing in the testing facility down there at uh, Clayton and, you know, he's just putting out raw data as he gathers it from uh, a couple of clients that he's had and, and some of those ball speed um, claims that you're uh, referring to, you know, were published there on by his uh, data there. So you've got to get out and try it, I guess. Now, what yeah. what what else is in the family? So you've got Sim, Sim Max. So Sim Max takes over from where M6 was. Is that correct? Correct. Yeah. So we've got Sim, which is we'll call it your M5 replacement, yep. full adjustability, all the bells and whistles. Uh, Sim Max, which has everything except it doesn't have adjustable weight. However, it still has adjustable loft sleeve um, and the shaft can come in and out as you wish. And then we've got Simmax D, which is growing and growing and growing. It's basically a draw bias driver. We've got a unique technology where we actually paint it so it looks like it sits open, but the club, in fact, sits two degrees shut. So for anyone in the past who's needed a off, excuse me, offset or draw bias driver, you know, t- they traditionally looked really bad at, at address. This one just sits down perfect and I can tell you that this is now 25% of, of all um, our driver sales are, are D-type drivers. So it's going strength to strength and probably the biggest opportunity um, as a business going forward. So you're using optical illusion technology as well now, is that what you're saying? By painting it differently? Absolutely. So it's been in there a couple of years. Um, And again, it's one of those things you you sort of have to get to see to believe. Um, But when you sit the club down, it's so important that it it inspires confidence. And if you're using a D-type driver, you're generally a higher marker. And a lot of people, the ego gets in the way and you don't, want to be told you need a driver with, you know, training wheels, essentially. Um, and this just hits the mold. So it's, um, yeah, it's incredible. And then it's got yeah, some great shaft options, super lightweight shafts in the Helium by UST. It's going to continue to grow. Can we put some higher spec shafts in to the D-type? You know, for that person that just hits your reliable, you know, cutty fade, Mm. but still needs something a little stronger. Can we can we option a, a better? Absolutely, yeah. yeah. So all the shafts are available across um, all the Metalwood um, family. When you get to irons, it's a little bit more difficult because there's obviously parallel and taper tip yep. um, in terms of the shafts. But, you know, tailor-made in Australia, we're basically uh, not relying on the US anymore. So any upgraded or up-spec shaft you want will come out of our Australian factory built in our new um, custom build facility so yeah we we encourage it quite frankly we want you to have a tour level fitting and have that uh, you know tour level equipment at the ready um, regardless of, of where you shop or or uh, where you get fit have you done anything with lengths 
you know, that that's a topic that always I see bobbing up, you know, people using drivers that are that are long or short or too long or too short, you know, whatever way you look at it is, you know, and a couple of manufacturers have, have offered, um, you know, different shaft lengths in different models. Is that something that... that it certainly has an impact. Yeah. And, you know, thinking back to my fitting days, length does definitely have an impact on the way the shaft plays in the feel and, you know, so does grip and, and you know, a number of things. Um, generally, you know, the rule of thumb is we build equipment that suits the masses, you know, the 95% of golfers, and you land at a length which works both control for control and power. Yep. Now, some people need more power, some people need more control, some people need something in the middle. For me, I... With length, if you don't change more than sort of a quarter of an inch, you, I personally don't think you see much performance difference. Mm-hmm. Other people say, uh, you know, otherwise. Um, again, it just points to the fact that it's just crucial to go and get fit um, properly. And generally, in my experience, if you've been fitted and you're fitted correctly, you'll walk out of the store with, you know, all the confidence in the world. If you walk out fitted, not quite sure if that felt great or you weren't getting the numbers you want, chances are you, you probably need to go back and do some testing hmm. because these things are so consistent in terms of the ball speed and the way they're manufactured. Um, once you get a good result, whatever you order in will come exactly the same. So as long as it feels right and the numbers stack up, you should be should be good to go. Now we've got a, a family of fairways that go alongside the sim uh, with sit with the sim family and a, a set of hybrids and a, an iron family as well. That's correct, yeah. We've only got the one hybrid now. Right. Um, that's the only yep. change. So we instead of having an M five five hybrid and a I guess a sim hybrid um, at this stage, we'll revert to using the Gapper, which mm-hmm. is something we brought in yep. nearly fourteen months ago now. So that just gives that sort of slightly better player, a bit more versatility with the trajectory control with the, the low, the mid, and the high model. Mm-hmm. Um, but outside of that, 100% correct. We've got the Sim fairway, which is a titanium fairway using a new, um, what we call like a craft titanium, which is like called Zartec, which is super strong titanium um Super lightweight. We're the only ones that have the rights at this stage to use this particular type of um, titanium. And if you were to describe it to someone, you'd basically call it the uh, craft beer of titaniums. It's looks different, smells different, performs different. <laughs> um, you know, it, it's really it's quite a unique material. And when you hit the club, I think. Most people turn around and swear they're hitting a driver when they're hitting the, the sim fairway. Um, we've got an 80-gram V-steel weight, so we're bringing that V-steel, V-steel sole design back, which was super popular in the what, mid-2000s. If you, weren't golf- uh, if you weren't golfing in the mid-2000s and you didn't – if you were golfing in the mid-2000s like I was and you didn't use a V-steel, you were – behind the game because that was the fairway of all fairways back in 2002, three, four thereabouts. And I know guys that have still got them. I, I yeah. seriously know guys that have still got them. They're just, you know, a cult classic. You know, like the original rescue clubs and, and the VC on the RBZs. You know, we've been lucky that over the years, sort of three woods, we've just 
we've just nailed. And, you know, so much to the point where, you know, we're obviously releasing clubs every year, but people tend to hold on to their tailor-made three woods because they're just so good. Mm. Um, in saying that, though, this one, it, it's it's a bit of a different beast. It's got a larger head than last year's M5 equivalent. Um, it's obviously made of the new titanium. It's got a much wider, deeper speed pocket. Plus, it's got this, you know, huge 80-gram weight stuck to its sole. So... I've actually got samples of just the sole um, at the office. It's 80 grams is a lot of weight yeah. on a golf club. <laughs> it really gives that super low CG, um, high launch, low spin. It, it's it's a rocket. Um, it's going to be an instant classic. The only challenge people are going to have is where it actually sits in their bag because it, it will go sort of driver length distances. So, um we expect this is the one that you know a lot of the tour players will use. Um, it'll be the one that you recommend for the the player who can't hit drivers. You know, some people just can't quite hit drives with the bigger heads. Yep. This is going to be a really, really versatile club, and it's just premium. You know, diamante, limited shaft in it, craft titanium. Um, it, it's sort of it's got it all. <laughs> so that's it's native at fifteen, and you can dial down and up, yeah. Yeah, so we've got the Rocket 3 in 14 degrees, mm. which is a slightly stronger option. Then we've got the 15 and 19, two-degree loft sleeve either way. So still lots of adjustability. The only change that you'll see this year is we don't have a movable weight um, yep. in terms of altering ball flight. You know, a lot of people have a lot of different opinions on that. Reality is that for a three-wood, um, given the contact that you do make, with it, it's often hard to get that, I guess, variance in ball flight from the weight. Um, where the V-steel, the way it basically cuts through the the turf, reduces that much friction that it's just going to give you an overall better flight and then you've still got some adjustment in the hosel for the, for the loft. Yeah, right. So what about the iron family, mate? What do we, what do we see there? So... Before I go on the irons, I'll just go oh, quickly into the, the other sim oh, fairways. Yes, 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 so yes, not to uh, sorry about that. Not to discount them, but we'll no. have the sim max, which will be the non-adjustable, yep. which is where you get your array of lofts. So you go down to you know rocket three, which is fourteen degrees, all the way up to a nine wood. Now, um, are we which is, are we going to see a high launch? No. Right. So, okay. and I can tell you why. Okay. Uh, we did have high launch for quite a while. Uh, mm-hmm. The reality is, with the heads being slightly bigger, like the Sid Max is 185 cc, mm-hmm. and they're using lighter materials, we get so much weight back in the club now. Where launch isn't an issue. Right. Um, in the past, you needed to add loft with three woods to to get it up and get the ball spinning. We've gone sort of the other way now. So Sid Max, you're still going to see a lot of it on tour. It's steel in the head, so it gives a. a a more, I guess, firm feel from the top. Sits very square, very similar to um, what the sim does. But you'll find they'll have slightly different performance characteristics that you'll, you'll just have to get fitted to, I guess, determine which one's best for you. Um, and then you move into the Sim Max D, which is the draw-based uh, fairway, which does actually have higher lofts because that player – you know, needs that help with the with the launch. So it's a sixteen degree three wood, for instance, instead of the fifteen degree. Yeah, but that's got that's got a bit of draw bias, right? 
a bit of draw bias, yeah, but still has the same paint technology, so it, you know, sits fairly square. Uh, and then the Simmax Rescue, which just comes off the family, um, virtually mirroring the technology from the three wood, just in a smaller package, going all the way up to uh, a seven rescue, which is thirty-one degrees. Mate, there's something in there for everyone. I think we've got everyone covered. We didn't <laughs> do the high lofted stuff that well in previous years. We've had a calling for it. Um, it's, it's certainly more in vogue. And you know, the other part of the other flip side to what um, I guess most people don't realise is is it just a huge market in ladies golf. Ladies golf's going through the roof. Um, and typically those higher lofted clubs is what suits their games best. So we're really able to cater to the men and the ladies now, where before we were probably a little male-centric, um, and now it's a lot more, I guess, even across the two. Yeah, right. Certainly makes it easier at, uh, at retail level, I think, when you've got you know, a good representation of his and hers. You know, um, From what I can gather, you know, the, the ladies do feel like they get left out sometimes when, when there are offerings that aren't available to them and they know that they're available on the other side of the equation. And um, so that's, a, that's a, good, a good play, I believe. Well done. Yeah, and with the way the clubs work now, you know, most shafts goes in most heads. So there's, there's sort of no reason not to cater for everyone. Yeah. Um, previously, there was very, you know, male-specific shafts and male-specific clubs where we've sort of just got rid of all that. And, um, yeah, we've got something for everyone now. So, yeah, hopefully that, that flows through at retail. So before uh, I cut you off there before, we were about to jump into irons. So what can we see in the irons, mate? So we've gone a different way in the irons this year. Uh, typically, like last year, M5 and M6 would have its own dedicated iron family that coincided with with each product. Yep. Now we've gone to SimMax and SimMax OS. So basically we've got two game improvement irons with slightly different profile. So the SimMax, slightly thinner top line, um, still generating a lot of ball speed, still geared towards a higher handicapper or someone who needs to get a bit more distance, a bit more launch. And then we've got the OS, which has got a more, I guess, progressive offset, thicker top line, much wider sole uh, for that player that might hit behind the ball a little, often needs sort of maximum distance, you know, the best sort of height possible you can get in the, the iron. Um, the other reason for this is between our M5 and P790 irons, there wasn't a whole lot of difference, and most people migrated to 790. Yep. So we wanted to make it very clear that the SIM iron product is very much game improvement, and then the P790, uh, which is you know incredible, everyone loves it, is that club for that more advanced golfer who, who likes that you know traditional look, forge feel, that sort of thing. Still unbelievably popular. The P790 is still... Once someone once someone has a little hit of that, uh, it's very very hard um, for them to choose yeah. anything else. And Good. to be honest, it, it's probably uh, it, it's so popular that it it does make it difficult to make other products stand out. Yeah. Um, where with the sim product, the new technology, or I would say probably more improved technology, with the um, the speed pocket and the speed bridge is much more obvious. So with the speed 
pocket basically means that behind the face, it's, there's just filled with sort of a, a rubber, if you like, which gives you maximum flex. Mm-hmm. That rubber also works as an echo dampening system, yep. which makes it sound like a forge club and sound is basically feel. So yep. if it feels sounds soft, it feels soft. Um, and then you've got this big speed bridge across the back, which combines basically the, the top to the bottom of the club, which is very visible. You can feel it, you can touch it. Um, you can see the gap between the bridge and the face. So it's quite easy to see where, you know, the bounce effect, if you like, comes from in these clubs. And, and they're just in a really nice technical-looking package. Um, yeah, I'm probably most excited about the irons, to be honest. Yeah, right. Okay. Mate, I think uh, with, that, with that, if there's anything that we've, we've missed, I'm sure we can come back to it, but uh, I think that's a pretty good and solid rundown of uh, what I think is going to be one of the significant new releases this year. If the, if the, yeah, absolutely. Is, is, there, I mean, is there anything else, mate? There's, if, you, if you want to go into it, there's so many technologies that we've carried through these products that have, people would know um, from previous products, sort of like inter- inverted cone technology, which has been there since R- R7. It's mm-hmm. continuing through. Yep. You know, we've got an ultra thin face. So inverted cone uh, is is in behind the face, so you can't see it from. from can't see it. But it's in yeah. behind, so it's that ring around the center of the, I guess the, the the sweet spot, the ball striking area. Yeah. Yeah. So and the cone in the irons as well, which is quite unique, is moved dependent on the iron. So for memory, for the long irons, it's slightly more to the toe because mm-hmm. you're more likely to hit a long iron off the toe, and yeah. then the shorter irons is toward the heel. Um, other things like the face of the iron itself is 1.5 mil thick. So last year's was 1.7, now it's 1.5. That is very thin if you can imagine that. So a couple of sheets, the technology a couple of sheets of paper, a couple of sheets of paper. You know, not. Yeah, there's just it's it's amazing that there's so little there yet it still feels as soft as it does in the irons. But overall, I mean, it's the whole sort of mission statement behind TaylorMade is, the, you know, the number one performance brand in golf. You can listen to the us talk about it from the company, but at the end of the day, go and test it. Go and compare it to our other competitors. Um, if the performance doesn't stack up, it just simply wouldn't have gone to market. So that's... That's what we stand by, and you know, February seven, you'll you'll see it in stores. Um, some might have it slightly earlier for testing, but Feb seven, you can buy it and take it home, and and go from there. Well, mate, I really appreciate you uh, giving us a little bit of an early insight into it. February seven, that's the uh, the time when it'll be on sale. So testing kits shipping out soonish, is that right? You'll see that. In your yeah, so select select fit, which is the iron components. Yep. Have yeah, it's already already gone, already out. Basically, yep. yeah, already out there. Um, after the sort of twenty fifth, the metal wood fitting packs will be going out, um, and then stock will be installed for Feb seven. So we've got a couple of uh, launch events happening around uh, each of the major states, uh, which can be found at the Talamade website or the social channels, um, but. Basically, by sort of the 25th, 26th, there'll be products at retailers, you know, ready to test and, and pre-order for Feb 7. If you guys want to test a SIM driver, hit me up. I can uh, point you in the right direction, I'm sure. Can't I, Tommy? I can, I, can, I can point the guys in the right direction if they want to test a SIM. 
you'd think. Absolutely. There are. Uh, we've got plenty in the warehouse. We'd be happy to uh, get them out and get, get them in people's hands. Now, if you want to test one, let me know. Let me know and I can uh, I can help you out for sure. Now, you've got a pretty sizey role there at TaylorMade in Australia, Tom, and you've worked very hard to get there. And we've known each other for, you know, you said six or seven years. So I reckon we've known each other for most of that time. And uh, I feel like I've partnered with you in that journey and your rise to, uh, you know, up the ranks. And you've got a big role. What is yeah. that? What is that role? What What do you do? What is your role as Tom Carroll in TaylorMade Australia Pacific? So I probably should find my exact title. Um. <laughs> well, it's a good point because you are jack of all the trades. You are the go-to man for a lot of things. Yeah, I, effectively, I'm the, the key account manager for Australia and New Zealand. Um, that's everything from managing the sales team um, and what they do to setting the sales strategy, uh, working with marketing to figure out how we're going to get these products out to market, working with our experiential team to basically find a process and make sure we're fitting guys correctly. Um and getting to the right accounts to fit as many people as we can, um, all the way through to you know to, to sort of some parts of the finance side of the business, which I'm not great at, but we, we make it work. Um, but yeah, sort of, I've got a touch point on every part of the business, I guess. And the goal of my role is to work with all our major retailers to essentially service talent made in the best light, make sure you have everything you need to successfully sell the product and then in turn hopefully that you know drives a result for, for talent made in Australia and New Zealand which then funnels back into the European team which follow, funnels back into the, the US team. So I do, I do a fair bit. <laughs> and you work pretty closely alongside the boss, yeah? Yeah, absolutely. So Andrew, our general manager, he basically oversees it. Um, we're a pretty tight team yeah. in in Australia. We we definitely don't have as many staff as some of the other big companies, but I think that's more because of the experience we've all got. We've all been in golf a long time now, and we've all been in the sales wholesale sort of realm for a while. So we we do a, a lot with a little, I guess you could say. <laughs> now, mate, you said you've been in golf. You've all been in golf a long time. Excuse me. Where did your golf journey start? Well, my golf journey start which started when a sport that's dear to your heart, which was uh, soccer, um, sort of fell to the wayside for me for a few injuries. So I was pretty certain I was going to play soccer for my whole life, and then that sort of fell apart. Um, I was about probably 11, 12 years old, playing with dad and grandpa that, you know, the golf bug got me like it, it gets a lot of people and from the ages of 12 through to 19 or 20 I, I don't think I would have spent a day not on a golf course it's just working hard practicing hard training hard to you know hopefully get to a point where I can have a crack and you know try to try to do what Cameron Smith did today and, and, and have a win on on tour and yeah didn't quite get to the the lofty heights I wanted to but I was able to have a lot of great experiences and, and yeah, and, and have a crack. Did, did at you making it? 
before you had, went went to have a crack, did you do a traineeship? I've forgotten. Did you did you come through that? I did. So yeah. I, I did. I did a year of a traineeship. Yep. Um, and at this stage, with the way the trainee system worked, I was playing quite well. So I had uh, what they called at that stage a national ranking. I'm not sure what it's called now. So I was able to get into a lot of tier two events, bigger pro ams, bits and pieces. And um, rightly or wrongly, I thought. You know, the, the pro shop life wasn't really for me at that stage. So I um, packed my things up and tried to become a full-time sort of touring pro at the age of 19. And, um, yeah, sort of went down that path there. So I didn't, didn't go through the whole system um, and then just focus on my playing career for sort of the next two or three years after that. Where did the playing career take you, mate? You, you know, I know a few of the... Uh... The destinations, but where did you get to see as a as a playing professional out there on the various tours that you uh, plied your trade on? Yeah, well, I did. Uh, so there's, I guess, for the guys who know golf, they'll, they'll understand how it works. But unless you're a you know a Tiger Woods or, or one of those players, you don't just get invited to go on tours. You, you need to work through the mini tours. So I went over to uh, Europe and the UK and played a number of the what they call basically pay-to-play tours. Um, Euro Pro is probably the most known known one, which is sort of a level below the challenge tour. So had a bit of a crack there. Um, played a number of events through Europe in Austria and Germany. They've all got their different mini tours, if you like. Um, up in Scotland, that was a great little tour there. So got to see most of the UK and Europe. Had a couple of events elsewhere. I went over to Hawaii in 2012, I think, to qualify for the Sony Open and um, nearly got there, didn't quite. But, um, yeah, after that all sort of finished up, I probably did that for a year overseas and then, um, like a lot of the young pros, we you run out of confidence and, more importantly, you run out of money and you have to start getting a job. <laughs> yeah. Do you regret it? Any regrets? Oh, I think... In hindsight, going and turning pro and trying to do the tour thing at 19 was a bit naive. Um, given you've seen how how good a lot of these guys go, you know, after the age of sort of 35. So I'm 30 now. Um, I could have still been chipping away at it. Uh, in saying that, though, it wouldn't have given me the opportunities I've had and the sort of unique experience that's yeah. helped me. You know, raise up the rank, rise, rise up the ranks at TaylorMade. Um, I think there's a lot more security in my role than there was playing. That's for sure. Particularly the way I hit driver, there's but, really no security in that. <laughs> but mate, that some of those uh, experiences that you've, you know, you would have had, uh, I'm sure, have gone a long way to build a lot of resilience in your personality and given you a lot of humility and also a lot of humour, which I know. Uh, you're one of the funny guys that I, I get to deal with. Um, so I'm sure that that gave you that very solid foundation and made you very resilient. And that's a very, very, very strong trait to have, especially, you know, when you're working in the golf industry, when you're working with some of the big retailers and there's a bit of, you know, uh, not, not argy-bargy in a bad way, but, you know, there's, there's always a bit of posturing in, as there is in any business. And um, I think that's probably at a young age, 30, you know, you're, you're still a young fellow, giving you a lot of skill and a, ability to be able to deal with any of those sorts of stuff that comes at you. Now, mate, what uh, you must have a couple of funny stories from the days on the Euro Tour, trekking around with, you know, dirty undies in your bag and, you know, inside, outside and wearing the same pair of clothes for three weeks on, on end. 
No. <laughs> yeah, I've got a couple. <laughs> I'll, uh, the, the funniest one, I guess, was uh, we were – I was there travelling with a, another a pro and we were going up and down the UK so often that we thought it just made sense to buy a car. So we found a car, the connection of a connection – Cost us a thousand pounds, and it was a really good car, Ford Focus, much better than a thousand pounds would normally get you. So anyway, we didn't really think anything of it. Drove the car around for about three months until we're in a, a town called Inverness in Scotland, um, and the police pulled us over. And at first, we thought maybe it was, you know, one of the lights were out, or you know, the blinker wasn't working, or something like that. Anyway, it turned out we had purchased a stolen car. <laughs> So, because my mate was driving at the time, he got locked up for maybe a day or two. Um, I think I headed to the pub and the, our trusty car was, was never seen again. Uh, we eventually, they actually gave us access back to the car and said, you can, you know, we've, we've got to the bottom of it, blah, blah, blah. Um, but you need to go and get it insured and we basically didn't have enough money for the insurance. So, the car is potentially still in Inverness in Scotland um, without us in it. <laughs> so Inverness isn't really close to uh, the too much. It's a good four hours away from, you know, yeah, the, the, big, the, bigger, the bigger town. So that, It wasn't uh, close to, to anyone. And by the end, we were going and spending so much time in Inverness and I don't think they'd seen Australians before. We were somewhat celebrity there. <laughs> I actually ended up living there for about three months. <laughs> uh, once golf was over because I had somewhere to stay there for free and I couldn't basically get home from the UK. So, yeah, that was a fair story. See, mate, us Scots, you know, we'll take in all the waifs and strays and we'll, we'll always, you'll always get a feed, you'll always get a drink and you'll never be without a roof over your head if you're out in your lonesome <laughs> in Scotland, mate. Someone's always there to look after you, buddy. They, that's, yeah, that's pretty accurate. So, uh, yeah, it was... At the time, it wasn't that funny, but looking back now, it's, uh, it's one of the better stories. Do you still stay in uh, contact with your um, criminal partner in crime? No, I don't. <laughs> right. To be honest. We are, uh, yeah, sort of after we both realised we weren't going to make it, um, he moved back to Sydney. I stayed in the UK for a bit longer trying to, you know, hold on to some hope that I'd get a job that allowed me to practice and play and, you know, stick it out. Um and by the time I got back to, to Sydney, I, I only worked for probably six months before I got the role with TaylorMade in Melbourne, I and mean, then that was that was me done in Sydney. So, any other uh, <laughs> any other good stories from the tour life on tour, mate? You know, any other time when you you were down on your last penny and you you know sunk a putt to win thirty quid or something like that? Uh, probably the better one was the first pro am I won in Australia. Um, it was a Monday. It was a sort of trainee pro-am. We were at a place called Oberon, which is oh, geez. West, sort of bathurst yeah. yeah. um, There's not much good comes out of there, to be honest. Um, <laughs> Sorry for, for the people listening in Oberon. I, Oberon. I actually love it. It was great motorcycle riding country in my uh, previous life, but uh, I love it up in Oberon. bit cold. Yeah. A bit, bit cold in the winter, but cold. It was cold. It was. Uh, I can tell you the day was March 2nd. It was my birthday, and we all got there on a Sunday and thought – We'd celebrate the Sunday night, my upcoming birthday, and we had a 7 o'clock tea time, and there was only one place to go, which was the hotel we were staying in. It was called the Big Trout, and I'll never forget the Big Trout. So anyway, 
we were, you know, carrying on to the early morning hours. And uh, when we were at breakfast, the, the the hotel manager came up to us and said, uh, are you boys planning on playing this tournament next year? We're like, yeah, love it. Can't wait. And she's like, well, you might want to find somewhere else to play. You're all banned. So I think six or seven of us got banned. I think we got a couple of breaches. So if you don't do the right thing at a PGA event, you get a $250 fine. <laughs> um, the good news story was I, uh, I went out and domed my first tee shot and had seven birdies after, won the event, um, and my mate who also got a fine came second. So – we finished on top, but it was a it was a long way to get there. Oh dear! Now what else, mate? You had a little bit of stint in, uh, in New Zealand with TaylorMade. That was a good good move for you going across to New Zealand. How long were you there for? Yes, yeah, so I did a year over there, running essentially running the whole New Zealand operation. So yeah, it's great. I mean, it's a it's a great golfing country. Um, some of the you know greatest courses I've ever seen um, are in New Zealand. <laughs> Really, you know, sporty, passionate people. Um, incredibly difficult to get around New Zealand, though. I, from north to south and south to west, uh, south to sorry, west to east. Very hard to get around, particularly if you're you're selling golf clubs. But um, yeah, career-wise, it was, it was a great move. Um, able to prove that I could do the job on a, I guess, a national scale, um, and also made some some great contacts over there and. Um, the, the guys over there really get the most out of their businesses. And the golfers, because the weather's so haphazard, they just play in all conditions. I've never seen anything like it. They literally go out there and play in gumboots. It's crazy. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, great for a golf trip if, you, uh, if anyone ever gets there, especially the South Island. Favourite destination in New Zealand? Oh, Queenstown. Queenstown, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's got the... If you time it right, you can nearly play golf, ski, um, and go sort of white water rafting on in the same day. Um, plus the wineries as well, so you can <laughs> you can have a lot of fun. Though you better make sure you save your, your dollars up. It's it's not cheap. They see the Aussies coming from a mile away. Yeah. Did you get to play uh, Titarangi while you were there? Uh, speaking of a little bit of architecture, speak Titarangi. Yeah, yeah, I played there quite a bit. Yeah. Um, yeah, I know it's got a quite a – it's a Mackenzie, isn't it? Yeah, it is, yeah. Yeah, it's – I mean, it's, a, I guess, a typical parkland course. It really, these days, with the length that we're all hitting it, you can certainly overpower it, though I do remember playing it and seeing all these, you know, sort of 300-metre par fours and just blazing away. And there's a lot of balls that ended on a lot of roads that day. Um, but, yeah – incredible course when you actually sit back and look at where it's located it's warehouses around and you'd never know that that quality of golf course is actually it's in there tucked away absolutely but it's a it's a great track it just shows you don't have to make courses super long to make them enjoyable and and challenging at all levels now mate just a few more little get to know your questions just to finish favorite sporting team Probably the West Tigers. Jeez. Mm, How are they going to go this year? Yeah, probably ninth again. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, no, you're a very passionate Tigers fan. Yes, I'll, uh, I'll stick with my Tigers, even though they don't really uh, help me out too much, but I do do love them. Lowest score you've ever ever shot over 18 holes? 
Well, there's a bit of an asterisk on it because I have shot 59, but it was on a past 67. <laughs> but uh, the lowest score, I guess, good score, I shot a 65 at Metro, um, so that was seven under. Lowest score in a tournament was a 66. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. Yeah, it's a, it's a long way off where you need to be, yeah. but uh, always got a bit nervous when I got to four or five under. <laughs> Favourite golf course in Australia? Well, this has probably changed a bit. I would say after playing your course, Peninsula, a couple of times, that's really risen up the ranks. But I would have to say I was fortunate enough to play the Australian last week. Um, I, I just love the Australian. I used to work there. Um, I wouldn't say it's the most memorable course, but just overall practice facilities, clubhouse, course, feel, condition, greens. Um, yeah, I absolutely love that place and would join there in a heartbeat if I could. Seems to be quite polarising. It doesn't rank in the rankings very highly at all. And, and it, you know, you either sort of love it or you or you hate it. It's from, from what I can gather, you know, I've only – been there and played it once and it was the place that I grew up you know driving down the the freeway on the way to the airport or the way you know to whatever part of Sydney and just seeing the pointed roof of the clubhouse and wondering mm. what was behind there and it was only last year that I got you know to see it and I can see the appeal I can definitely see the appeal but it, it certainly cops a bit of polarized opinion but uh you know that's golf that's golf yeah and I think for me hitting it you know probably longer than the average player it it's one of the few courses where the bunkers and the things still sort of challenge me off the tee. Um, with, you know, it might sound a bit arrogant, but it's a long golf course. It's a real hmm. tournament-style long golf course that requires you to hit a lot of mid to long grinds into the greens. Um, so it's something that particularly playing in Melbourne you don't really get. You know, you, you have a good day on the, the sand belt. You know, you can go around not hitting anything longer than an 8-iron unless the wind's up. So yeah. That's the sort of thing I like about it, but I can totally see where people might, you know, some people might even call it boring. Um, you can see where they're coming from, but it's it's my number one. The number one tip that you'd give to any beginner golfer? Hit it hard. Bang. Swing it hard. There's no – I've seen a lot of guys that I played with, and if you don't develop that speed young, mm-hmm. you really – struggled to get it later on in your career. I mean, it's not not saying that you have to swing it off your feet every time, mm-hmm. but unless you can generate some club head speed, it's really hard to compete and, and play the game. Um, by having some speed there as well, you get to get the most out of your equipment. Like when you hit a lob wedge, it'll go high. It won't just come out, you know, medium length. You can get three woods in the air. Um, if you don't quite get that speed up. Um, it, it's a real struggle. And then once you're in that tempo of swinging it slowly through the ball, you can't teach people out of that, in my opinion. Um, so hit it hard and find it, and hopefully over time it, it starts to straighten up. That tip is gold, I believe. I, I see. I come across uh, that sort of concept uh, every day. And, uh, and, and, and I say, you know, give it a hit. And... Uh, once they, once people wind up, you know they they 
they, they get going, but they just have this concept that they've got to hit it smooth and slow and easy. And yeah. so you can be smooth and smooth and fast at the same yeah, time, sure. I guess. And the thing that I push to everyone, um, obviously being on the side of the supplier, is the equipment we build now is designed for you to smack the cover off it. It's more forgiving. The heads are bigger. It's all designed for you to hit it harder, um, which is what the the tour players do when. Yeah. They want clubs more forgiving so they can hit them harder and hit them slightly more off-center. Um, so if you're going to spend the money on the technology, you may as well get the full effect of it and, and give it a bash. Tommy, I think on that little bit of gold, I will let you go. You're up there in Brisbane just spreading the good word of uh, the brand. We'll call it on that. It's been a great insight both into the product of the new SIM release that's February 7. And a little bit That's of it. Sorry, go on. That's it. Sorry, yep. Set Feb seven. And a little bit of an insight into the world of Tom Carroll, number two at TaylorMade. I'm going to say. <laughs> yeah, I'll take that. <laughs> but um, mate, awesome work. Thanks for your time. Really appreciate it. Uh, you've been very kind to me in all of the stuff uh, that you've done for us at TaylorMade. Appreciate it. Appreciate you, mate. Best of luck for 2020. Thanks for being the first guest on the My Love of Golf podcast. Where can we check you out personally? You, you, you still doing any Instas? You, any, you know, are you doing any of that sort of Twitter? Oh, I, I, I keep a low profile. Yeah, you, you do. Can, uh, yeah. LinkedIn, you can find me. And, uh, yeah, if, if anyone wants to get in contact, I'll, no problem if, if, Roscoe, you want to pass my details on. Beautiful. It's all good. Tommy, thanks very much. Thanks for joining us on the My Love of Golf podcast for the first one this year. Great episode. Appreciate you. <laughs> Looking forward to having you all on board. If you have anything you want to talk about, hear about, any more product information, any golf course information, any interviews, any recommendations, thoughts, tips, travel, let us know. And if we can't bring it to you, we will try and find someone who can. Thanks again. Until next time, thanks for listening. <laughs>